my brain is so dead right now. I completely forgot how to do a space. How are you, Black Label? I'm good. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. You didn't get rugged this time. Oh, my God. That was so annoying last time. I have to quit my app every time I go to enter a space. I have to, like, force quit it. Otherwise, it does that to me. Oh, no. Well, I'm glad that you're here and it's not taking a half hour. I know. Here. Hello. And major anxiety upon joining. <laughs> No, I'm glad it worked out. Um, hey, Jenny. Hey, Crypto, my friends. Um, uh, oh, my God. My brain is so heckin' dead right now. I'm um, excited for this one because I wanted to talk a little bit about the merge and what opportunities we have as far as marketing is concerned. Because um, what I've seen is mostly like people talking about like the merge and is it going to be okay and is everything going to be on fire? But honestly... Even if it goes badly, poorly, whatever, English is hard. Um, even if it goes poorly, if it goes fantastically, swimmingly, great, everything's fine. There's still a multitude of ways that we can capitalize it and sell more art. So, yeah, I wanted to uh, to open with that. And um, Black Label, you were talking about um, curating, too. Um, was that going to be something more like um, we'd have a discussion or you want to like actually help people curate their stuff? I think more of just like an open discussion. I've, I've had several conversations with different um, artists who, especially in the AI space where like everybody has thousands and thousands of images and it's difficult as an artist to one ever like the stuff you make. Cause I feel like I hate everything until I don't. Um, but two, just like to go through that much work, which is kind of unprecedented. There's never been a problem before in history for any artist to look at, what they made a thousand of in the last week and determine what's good. And so I think that, you know, just a conversation around like curation and like what's a good volume of things to put out there and supply versus demand economics, that sort of idea. And just some topics like that, I think are just interesting to speak about as a collective. Yeah, totally. Um, so what I had in my brain was maybe getting people into discord so that we could like physically help people curate, um, via those, oh my God, I swear to God, my brain right now, um, via those, um, those, those interests. Um, but yeah, we can definitely, uh, discuss that as well, but, um, yeah, while we're, uh, while we're getting everything started real quick, um, thanks to those who have already retweeted the space. I appreciate you. Um, David, it's good to see you. Um, Lee, hello, my love. I hope you're all having a fantastic day. Um, but yeah, Black Label, do you have, um, uh, so you've, you've got a project coming, obviously, um, a gallery coming, it looks like. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but I wonder if you haven't given some thought to the merge and how not only you're looking at your contracts, perhaps, but is there anything that you're doing with your marketing to capitalize on it? Not to put you on the spot at all, I'm just curious. That's <laughs> cool. Um, I mean, I think um, it's an interesting thing. I think that it's in a way kind of only affects people with work on um, Ethereum for the most part, even though it kind of has broader implications than that. But I think that in general, it's almost like from my understanding of it, and I'm no expert in it, but I do, I kind of know enough to kind of speak on it for a minute, but it kind of comes across to me as like, it's almost an exchange in a way where there may be some lower gas fees and maybe more efficient in some ways, but then you're also paying 
to do other things because it's not the same type of protocol. So it's sort of like a, a handoff in a way. It almost seems like it's balanced, but I don't know. In terms of marketing and that sort of thing, obviously there's a ton of hype around it. Um, I saw this morning that Google even launched a countdown timer on their main like search page. If you were to search Ethereum when, you know, basically uh, the merge, when, when is that happening? You'll see that there's like a timer. So obviously it's a huge thing. And I think that anytime there's big news like that around a topic, especially in something that you're involved in, it's a good thing to maybe talk about or um, make sure, especially if it affects your work, like people who have work on known origin or foundation um, or some of these other platforms that are heavily like ETH based, like they're definitely affected by it. Not in a, I don't really think in a negative or positive way per se. Um, but it's definitely something that does change everything. I mean, every, every work that you have that's minted on Ethereum will essentially be switched over. And so that's, you know, something to, in the very least be aware of and understand what that kind of means for you as, as an artist and what you have going on. And then, you know, as you go, if you do new things in the space, you'll be able to um, possibly market it to that advantage. Like, Hey, we're, everything's merged over. We've got new stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Gas fees may be lower depending on where you're at. And there's different ways to kind of market it. But I think like topic-based marketing is always a good thing to do. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, I also want to say hi to Owls. Hello, my friend. Um, you mentioned in the space, I think that was yesterday, um, my life is a blur right now, um, that you need to uh, market yourself differently in the uh, the bear run that we're in. And I'm really interested in what your thoughts are on that. So if you're in a spot where you can talk, um, I'd love to talk about that, but also a little bit about um, what your thoughts are with, um, uh, with the Ethereum merge, if, uh, if you've got some, um, only I saw your request, I'm going to give you an invite just in case you wanted to come up. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that, um, what, what do you think about the, the, I've, I've already seen people marketing their, uh, Genesis merge. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Even if they're not on like known origin, um, or they're thinking about like minting, you know, their, their manifold contracts as their like Genesis, but, uh, but after the merge. Yeah, I think it's just an opportunistic thing to do. I mean, I actually was thinking it because I'm not on, um, Ethereum, I'm on um, Solana and Tez. And so I, it's not going to have as much of a big deal, but I also see like, see, it's very interesting because the landscape is one where like, say for example, Tez people kind of market that as like clean NFTs. Well, Ethereum is about to have a, like a 99.9% .9 less um, gas transaction situation. So it's going to be a clean NFT. It's going to essentially compete with that in a way that you had a lot of people on Ethereum going over to, to Tez and other things that were cheaper to do and just more efficient. I think with the way that it affects the climate and things like that. There's a lot of narratives around those things, whether or not, you know, how much of that is true or not is up for debate. But I think like the fact that it's going to compete with what else is already successful in the current landscape, and especially with something that is branded as a clean NFT, well, it's about to compete with that extremely, in a, in a very, very large way. And so I think that launching something into that new ethereum landscape is a good idea i mean i was just looking at that this morning maybe you know swapping over where i might do um my next like series drop maybe it's on ethereum if it goes well um you also have a situation where people may bail because they're scared of being on something that is switching over and may be unstable to some people who may not understand the details of it 
Um, and so I think that there's, there's a, a, a potential for vulnerability, I think, where you have Ethereum as being something that's looked upon as super stable um, and everything's about to switch over. And so how stable is that going to be in the eyes of people that, you know, may have a bit of fear around that. And so I think it could go up, it could go down, you know, and how it is you plan on launching what you've got should be determined on, you know, what your own research is and that sort of thing too. So since we have a couple of people here who are not only on Polygon, but Tez, which are um, championed, I believe, as cleaner NFTs, I wonder if this Ethereum merge is effectively going to start a little bit more of a fight um, or a discussion around who's the cleaner NFT. And I'm positive that there's data out there. I'm positive that there's a way to like actually quantify that. But I still wonder if from like a marketing standpoint, a discussion standpoint, I mean, even, you know, blood sports and drama, if, uh, if that's going to come up at all. Um, interested in, um, in seeing what you guys think about that. But uh, let me let me get to Amelie first. Hello, my love. Hi. <clears throat> Good to be here. Good to be here. Um, <laughs> Thank you for spending four hours with me yesterday. Of course. It was wonderful and horrible all at the same time because I was just like, <laughs> I left afterwards and I was like, fuck. I <laughs> we're, we're just going to do two hours next time, I think. That's, uh, oh, it that's wasn't about the hours oh, at no. all. In fact, it could have gone longer for me because I'm just like, I don't know. I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> but uh, hopefully the more and more I listen to it, the, the more it'll just seep into my soul. Um, and I had a question uh, based on what you guys were talking about. <laughs> and I'll just be, you know, the stupid one in the room here to help anyone else who might be feeling uh, stupid. Um, I am confused because are people just marketing for the merge as just like a thing to market with, to like use, to like be like, this is what people are talking about. So I'm going to say I'm, I'm doing cool stuff for the merge because from what I have understood or from what everyone has told me is I don't have to do anything. Like I'm already on ETH. I'm on ETH, but like everything that happens is going to just happen and I don't have to do anything. And even like I was asking people like, Oh, I'm thinking of, um, I was thinking of doing my manifold and I just never got around to it, but I was thinking of doing it like last week or something. And I was asking around and I was like, should I wait for the merge? And I was like, no, it doesn't matter if you do it now, everything that you do will be merged over. So it's like, it's not like a new contract. It's not a new anything. So now that I'm hearing from you guys that people are being like, Hey, I'm doing this special thing. And I'm like, uh, this is a special, like after the merge, like, I don't understand what, how that, I don't understand. <laughs> I'll end with that. I'll end with that. I think you're exactly right. It's just a. Uh, I from the from my research and what I've looked into it, and I'm I welcome someone to disagree with those because I don't proclaim to be an expert in this at all. But it just seems as though it's just more like an opportunistic type of thing. And it's something like, oh, we're, we're ETH is now clean. Come buy my stuff because it's clean. So I think that's I think that's kind of the narrative. I'm not sure how. It, again, it's sort of like a swap. I don't really necessarily think it's it's cleaner in one way, but maybe less than another. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But yeah, I, I think it's just opportunistic. After you, Wells. 
Good afternoon. Hope everybody's doing well. What's up, Black Anime and Jenny and everybody here today? Uh, let's grab your pen and pad, right? Uh, a couple things. Um, it really doesn't affect Ethereum, but it affects other blockchains. And what I mean by marketing is that one of the biggest marketing tactics that I use for my Polygon was fast transaction, low gas fees, uh, clean, secure environment, right? These are all things that make that was making Polygon appealing and sexy, right? Now, Ethereum has all those things. So how do you market those things within your Polygon project, right? Uh, that's that's where the marketing really changes. It's not Ethereum. Ethereum just got better, right? So now Ethereum can say, yes, low transaction, easier airdrops, all that stuff, right? That's where you can start saying for the marketing changes on Ethereum. But from the other blockchains that have already been utilizing the layer two on fast track fashion and proof of stake is how do you take it to the next level? So Polygon, what they do is that they have a, a carbon footprint now uh, where they are working to, I think the... The merge is is about to erase sixty thousand you know tones of polygon carbon footprint. So those are the type of different marketing things that you want to utilize during this merge. Now, is it really time to to market? Uh, maybe not market the blockchain, but market uh, the market changing. Right. Every single time we see the technology changes, we see that something erupts within the market or new adopters coming in. So if you're a project that's been creating Maybe this is the right time to release that workshop, or this might be the right time to release that second genesis, because uh, I think, as we know, during this time is when we see starting to see uh, cryptocurrency starting getting picked up. And then now with these new merges and these carbon footprints, uh, it kind of changes the way how people are going to have to, uh, you know, put themselves out there. So just some just some thoughts for you guys that are that are listening uh, in, in today's uh, show, you know. Hey, um, so yeah, what are the other then benefits, do you think, or I'm sorry, the, the benefits of, uh, of Polygon? And are you worried about really having to like, do a hard pit of your marketing and think a little bit more about the, the qualities of Polygon, um, especially being that you have such a high um, community value too, that you can totally use in your marketing as well? Yeah, so realistically, my target audience is Polygon people that are using the Polygon dApps uh, that are buying Matic. Like that's that's my target audience. Yes, the, there will be some others that cross in that are in Ethereum, such and such and such. But like my main target audience in my community is Polygon, right? So again, it really doesn't affect me. Um, and then not only that, but Polygon actually like they just uh, they just leveled up with, with, with their own proof of stake, right? Uh, so that's another thing that we can market on our end. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think it's a fight. I, I think at the end of the day, if you've been here for a while, you understand uh, you have to be, you know, uh, chain Gnostic, I guess you could say, where because uh, there's a lot of projects that have some projects on the Polygon, some on Ethereum. And that's completely OK, because maybe their utilities are airdropping on Polygon. Right. Or uh, maybe they want to integrate it with a blockchain that has uh, easy, you know, burning access for games, right? So it's okay to be on different uh, blockchains. Nobody should kind of throw uh, dirt on who's, you know, what Ethereum or, you know, Tesla's what blockchain you're on. It's all about really uh, what works best for your community and your project. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um, I'm of I'm of two minds, and you know, there's there's two wolves that live inside of me, and one wolf says there's definitely going to be a fight, and if we wanted to 
start that not start the conversation like start the blood sports or anything like that but start by educating people about what the differences are um what the different utilities are and also how to continue to educate who uh educate your target audience on the differences and the benefits of either then i definitely think that that is one way to at least participate in the conversation and capitalize on it frankly um, before it goes to hell. And I'm not saying that, like, that's what I want, obviously. I've just, you know, been in the NFT space enough that we have seen these conversations come and go a million times. And I wonder if some people aren't getting a little bit better at getting ahead of the conversation. Like, Omli, um, your thread on AI art, you said uh, the other day, I think, um, went viral, but that was before the uh, the explosion happened. So I, I guess I'm, I'm just supposing if there are ways that we can get ahead of it a little bit by educating rather than participating in the blood sports. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, again, it's almost like newsjacking in a way. I think it's like, if you're already on those things as, as it is, as, um, you know, they were just saying, like, it's, it's something that you're in that space already. Like, I don't necessarily think it's like a reason to switch over. I do think in a way though, it's going to, as I said, it's going to be something that will create more competition in the market because Ethereum, it's interesting because People who have minted on Ethereum as artists, I feel like there's this sort of built-in value with that. Because if you're minting on Ethereum, it costs more and therefore there's more investment on your part. And because of the marketplaces that host Ethereum, it seems as though there's this sort of interpretation that that adds more value, which I think could be debated. But I think that, that that's what ends up happening, right? In this case, if Ethereum becomes more efficient or when I should say, when it becomes more efficient and it doesn't allow for that sort of inherent value to be added to what you're putting down as an artist, will it still hold a higher value on the market? Like, will it still be looked upon as that? Or are they actually maybe even doing a, a negative step in terms of the value that art has that's minted on Ethereum by going down to a level where it is more efficient and more effective for people to use, like on a you know on a stage similar to what Polygon's doing. That's it's just an interesting conversation. That's I mean, sort of an open question. I, I'm I'm not sure, but I find that to be very fascinating to think about, just like the market economics around that. I'm actually interested in what your thoughts are on that, if you don't mind expanding, um, especially via the, the higher value on the market that you mean, because um, from my understanding, at least, and it's very limited, I have not done my homework on the merge. Um, but from what I understand, there really isn't anything that needs to be done. Um, we're really just switching over. I mean, everybody's art that's already minted still essentially has the same value than it did um, last time. So is there any sort of, um, what's the phrase that I'm looking for? Manufactured value. Is there any manufactured value behind minting after the merge? I don't think so after, but so let's just, so let's kind of get out of the weeds for a second. We have to think about things as the way that there's perceived value. You know, if you have a thousand dollars in your bank account and you're banking with Wells Fargo in the U S it's a thousand USD that the value of that thousand USD fluctuates all the time. You just don't, you know, it's not on, you know, Coinbase app. So you don't get an alert when it drops 5%, but with inflation and things like that, the value of that thousand dollars changes all the time for, for better or worse. And so it's a matter of perceived value or like that number may stay the same. 
Now, going back to the topic at hand, if you have a piece that's minted on Ethereum, let's say you have a floor price or if you've got different things that are up for sale or it's sold for X Ethereum, whatever it is, it's still sold for one ETH. If it's one ETH, just, just to be simple, it's still sold for one ETH or you still have it listed for one ETH, but the perceived value of what one ETH equates to in order in the reference of other things in a marketplace is different. It, it will be different because it won't be this, it won't be something that requires as much effort or value to be put into it initially. And so even though it may still be listed as one ETH or you sold it for one ETH, that's still there. The the value of that may go up or may go down depending on the way that the market responds to the merge in general. So that, that's what I mean by that in terms of like it changing value. Like it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a different value of ETH or it doesn't necessarily mean that like it it changes or you have to do something to change it or anything like that. It's just the way that the perceived value is. And that may be something that's over time. I, I doubt it'll be anything that happens overnight and whatever change does happen overnight will probably fluctuate and bounce back or bounce back down one way or the other. But as far as like long-term value, what's interesting is the way that people perceive that. It's always, especially with art, it's perceived value. It's like how people perceive it to be worth is what it's worth. What someone's willing to pay for it is what it's worth. So if over time, if Polygon and, and all these other ones, and even like Tezos ends up competing with Ethereum in a different way now, because Ethereum becomes a lower barrier to entry in terms of gas and transaction process and things like that, that may have an effect on perceived value of the art on long-term. So you know that I have the collector values and personas then, and now I'm wondering if I might need to add another one, but at the same time, it sounds like, so what I wanted to do then is back up a little bit and contextualize that to a very simple question. And it's who cares who actually like um, when they go to buy an NFT are going to be thinking about whether or not um, this was minted after, um, after the merge, for example. And you did mention long-term investment value, which makes me think that, you know, investors are going to care um, and people who are in not necessarily like DGENs and devs, like as a profile, but people who are interested in it. So I suppose um, back to you real quick, who, who is going to care about this? Who is the, the target audience for this one? I think investors really, it's the people who are buying it. Um, those are really, I think, I think in reality, that's always the target audience for it. I, it, I, I wonder if, you know, it's funny because like the last few months you keep hearing like, oh, the merge, the merge. Like I wonder in a few months from now, you'll hear people saying like, oh, was that pre-merge? Was that pre-merge? You know, it's, it's interesting how people think about things and contextualize things in a timeline. It may be something like that. where like, maybe, maybe work that was minted prior to the merge is more valuable. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I could definitely see that being something that happens because especially in this world of things with the crypto markets and different blockchains everywhere with the amount that everything changes all the time, people remember how something was and that age tends to have inherent value too, just as finding a lost Leonardo painting or something. It's still paint on a canvas, but because no one knew about it now, it's something that's worth tens of millions of dollars. So it's something, you know what I mean? It's like, it depends on where it came from and who it was and when it was like a lot of this stuff, especially in art markets is very contextual around who, what, where, when, you know, things like that. Yeah. And coming full circle with your point too. last year, this year, my God, it's already September. Um, I saw a bunch of collectors specifically wanting to collect NFTs from 2021 and especially 2020, um, mostly because they thought that they were more valuable. Um, so, yeah, I wonder if then it's not 
valuable, not necessarily necessary, um, but if it would be a strategy to start thinking about marketing pre or post merge, what do you think about that? It's an opportunity. You know, I think it's an opportunity. I think it's something that's like whatever you had before is before and whatever you have now, you can definitely market it in that way. And it's always, I think when you're trying to sell anything, you're always looking for an opportunity to, to market it. And the, one of the worst ways you can do that is to say, Hey, come buy my stuff. But if it's something that's contextual, like, Hey, now that this has happened, you can come buy this here and it's better because of these reasons or more valuable because of those reasons. And so you have like a contextual reason within a community and a market in order to put it out there and have a reason to ask people to come buy something from you. I think that's probably the most brutal way that I could put it, but that's sort of how I see it. I'm, I'm going to piggyback off of that too. Um, I think everybody here shops online or has before. And let's take, for example, uh, Amazon, right? What is the number one thing people do before they buy pretty much anything? They go check out the reviews, they check out the site, they try to validate it, right? I think this adds another layer of validation for projects, right? How long have you been here? Um, and, and I think that will allow you to make an easier decision when you're purchasing something. Uh, that's something that I personally do. I know a lot of people do that online, uh, especially when you're buying something. And people want to get information fast. So when you, when you go on your website, maybe having that as a, as a highlight, or, um, or putting that in your about, I think could also benefit for you. So I see where I can, I can, I'm starting to see where some of the marketing can, can, uh, can, can be created with this merge now. Sorry, I was writing black label, a uh, discord letter there. Um, Steph, thank you so much for the retweet. It's good to see you. Um, also, thank you for spending four hours with me yesterday. Um, Okay. Um, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm learning a lot and ADHD was doing something else and now it feels under pressure to perform. Oh God. Um, I, Owls, I think that you made a really interesting point about that extra layer of validation. And I think that I'd be safe putting this value on, um, that, that investor, um, sorry, collector value and, uh, and persona rather than adding a completely new, um, persona to, uh, to the list of things. So this has been like stupidly valuable for me. Um, but I, um, uh, if, if there isn't, I, I'm sorry, I wonder if there isn't, um, anybody that wants to come up and talk about this a little bit more. Um, otherwise I kind of wanted to move into a little bit with the uh, curation with, uh, with black label, cause it sounds like he has a lot to add, um, to the conversation when it comes to, um, curating your work and the different, uh, facets to discuss there. So are you guys interested in, uh, in doing a hard pivot? That's good with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna just be on on mute. I'm gonna listen in. You got it. Let me get uh, handheld up real quick. One sec. Hey, hand. Oh, she might be connecting. Pardon. Oh, I'm here. Hey, how are you? I'm here, baby. I'm I'm excellent. And this has nothing to do with this space. I just want to introduce myself. Uh, Loki, really, just want to say hi. I always come and retweet a space and retweet the speakers, whatever pin tweet. So I'm going down a list, which is why I was kind of late because <laughs> I was retweeting black labels and I was going on to creative. 
Um, fun fact, Jeanette looks like my mother, and I thought my mom low-key was on Twitter and didn't tell me. <laughs> but it's not my mom. Um, yeah, I want to hear about marketing, and I want to hear about specifically um, kind of like not ethical marketing, but how do you market? Is there a way to market fervently and also don't give a fuck? That's what I would love to find the happy medium. Excuse my French. <laughs> um, if you found, if, if I had that, I wouldn't be on this space right. and um, I'd be on a yacht. Somewhere. So, so, so we're all striving for the same balance. Okay. Well, at least there's company in that. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I've, I've done a lot in my career with a lot of different things. And I think that one of the things that I've learned is that you have to be genuine and you have to be completely ingrained in your community and culture around whatever it is you're doing in order to one, understand it two leverage it to your own advantage and to uplift other people and empower artists like in, in this space, artists or whoever it is that you're speaking with. I think that that's something that, especially in the world of Twitter and the world that most of us are in, in this conversation, that is absolutely paramount. Like I've gone through a lot of different ways to growth hack things and cut corners and in an attempt to become efficient and effective with marketing or growing a business or helping clients or things like that over time. And even though things can be effective and I've, I've have found success in doing a lot of different things, I have found this process specifically with building a culture here and getting in with the community and learning from other people is something that takes a vulnerable mindset as well as a true genuine nature of what it is you're trying to achieve and to learn and empower other people. And that in a way, fortunately and unfortunately takes a significant amount of time and effort. And I think that especially as an artist and you're trying to sell your mind, you're trying to sell what you want to create and you're trying to convince other people that that's something to invest in. That is a crazy venture. We're all crazy people for even trying that. That's something that's insane because it's, it's so much effort and there's so much there. And the only real secret to that is to be passionate about it. As cliche as it sounds, you have to be passionate to the point of, you know, I'll call it, I'll say it for myself, obsession. I'm absolutely obsessed with it in a, in a very passionate way. I'm kind of a madman in that way. So, so to me, like I look at it as there is no um, not giving a fuck and doing it and being successful because it, you, that just won't happen. There's no way to do that. And with any business in general, you can't not give a fuck. If you're scrolling on TikTok and and seeing people talk about Amazon drop shipping and things like that. I mean, I, I've done drop shipping. It's something you're just going to take you 20 hours a day to manage anyways. And the more that you're successful with it, the less time you'll have. And so it, there's sort of a double-edged sword there where even the more successful you are with things, the more ingrained and engrossed you have to be in those things. And if you're not, and you hire other people, well, guess what? Now you're in a situation where you're spending more money than you were before. And now you're not as profitable. And then you have to do more marketing. So it's a, it's a constant layering and leveraging and being genuine in what is you're doing. And you have to be all in and then some in order to be successful with a little bit of luck sprinkled on top. To that, I also think it's very important to contextualize what not giving a fuck means. Um, 
so if we were to contextualize that to your voice and your tone of your brand, for example, you can have a very casual, um, nonchalant approach within your marketing. And that's kind of what I do. But obviously, anxiety is in everything that I do. So I very much give a fuck. Um, but the, the voice and tone that I have is, is very different. Um, but there's also an element of whatever your goals are as well. So for example, I feel like if you go down my Twitter feed for the past probably three or four months, my priority has not been marketing. So if I quote unquote do a marketing, um, it's not very polished. It um, probably does not look like a campaign, a campaign because it's not a campaign and it might look like, I'm in that not giving a fuck moment, which I kind of am because my priorities are different. I'm literally writing a book. Um, I just finished a website because I just got my butt kicked by somebody who said I need to get paid what my worth is. Um, so my priorities are just very different right now. And I think that's perfectly okay. Um, but obviously when you're applying um, not giving a fuck within your marketing, like if you're goal is to market if your goal is to sell really if you have a goal at all i would kind of argue that that means that you do in fact give a fuck because you want to achieve those goals so i yeah i i think that we need to contextualize exactly what we're talking about in order to have um, a progressive discussion about what that is go ahead handheld yeah so thank you both um i'll try and make it really short and sweet so you're talking to handheld. You're also talking to our acrobat. You're also talking to, you know, X, Y, Z. Like I have, I have compartmentalized my talents into different personalities and personas. Um, I'm not ducks at all. So I'm kind of like the uh, shoemaker that has no shoes. Like I have clients. I have, I have a whole marketing brain and brand and I have a whole art thing. And what I have found is when I say I don't want to give a fuck is because I know analytics, I know email marketing, I know the words, I know SEO, all of that. So I give that to people and I and I clarify it for them and their business skyrockets. But I I need a me for me, <laughs> you know, I and that's what I mean. I don't want to give a fuck, but I'm being very lazy with my words. I know all of these tick marks and and, you know the the do's and don'ts if you will however when i'm on my art brain i just want to just like many artists you know uh, it took me a long time to realize that just because the paint dries does not mean the job is done the job is done when it's sold and the between the paint drying and it being sold is marketing you know telling your story sharing your story xyz so um, I thank you for bringing that up because I should clarify, I do give a fuck. I give so much of a fuck <laughs> that I can't even do it for myself, you know. Um, but from my marketing uh, perspective, <clears throat> I think artists uh, should remember that uh, the project or the painting or, you know, the drawing is not done unless you've shared it and it's, it actually behooves you to do so because artists are one of the uh, people that bring um, humanity forward. 
we're one of the people that get the whispers before everyone else. And so it behooves us to share it. Thank you for letting me talk. Oh, one other thing, Black. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I would love to have a virtual lunch or coffee meeting uh, on my dime just to chit-chat and share and learn from each other. If you're up for it, so am I. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always open for a discussion. Drop me a message and we'll make it happen. Yay. Okay, great. Tino, thank you. Uh, yeah, and also, who, whoever whoever told you to raise your prices, I agree. I agree. I, uh, I agree. I got my butt kicked <laughs> by another um, workshop artist, actually. That was uh, Jason... I have never heard him say his name, Matias. I'm I'm gonna guess it's Matias, Jason Matias, um, who spent probably 45 minutes with me and did start an existential crisis. Um, it was very painful, but he said a lot of things that I really needed to hear. So, um, I highly recommend um, following him um, and uh, listening to uh, to the wisdom that uh, that he has because he just he sent me down a a hard pivot and he's just he's wonderful. Yeah, and even if even if it's not that you know, it's not that you raise your prices and and negate the prices that you already have in place. It's just like, hey, here's introductory pricing, here's the middle of the fold, and here is where you get the whole palooza, and it's ten grand at minimum. Because I believe very strongly that um, that's where really your genius lies at minimum ten grand a meeting. I mean it. I know your work. I've read your work. I have benefited from your work. I listen to you. Um, yeah, ten grand at minimum. And then, of course, you know, not all of us can just cough up ten grand. So you have like steps to the ladder. You know what I mean? But really and truly, I think lead with your ten grand because yeah, it's actually it's a steal. If someone pays you ten grand, it's a steal for one hour of your uh, due diligence. That's how I feel. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, equity with my project is enormously important. I want to make sure that we always have spaces available um, to disseminate all of the information that I have because a lot of it's original, um, which means that if I were to pay it, put it behind a paywall, it's going to belong to small businesses and bazillionaires. And frankly, that's not who I want it in the hands of. I would rather spend time with you guys um, having these discussions, not only because it feels more fulfilling to me, but it's just, that's what I ethically believe, you know? Um, Steph, I wanted to uh, roll over to you real quick, just in case you um, you had something to, uh, to say about that last conversation, my love. Yeah, I did. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes, just fine. Good. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to speak for hand, but I know that for myself, um, I definitely relate to the not wanting to give a fuck. And, it, and when I say that, it is it means not caring about how I am perceived. Um, I think that for myself, I have cared too much for too long about that and and have not shown up or taken up space because of that and so I think at least for me and for other artists and um, people who 
struggle with that that's that's what I would mean when I say that for sure Also, I just want to say hi to Gabe real quick. Um, I know you're walking somewhere and probably can't hear, but thank you for the support, my friend. John, I also see you down there. Misfits, Illustrata, Juliet, Rich, hello, my loves. It's good to see you. Um, handheld, go ahead. Allergies, that was, the, that was my Twitter thumbs. <laughs> I was trying to wrangle my dog, so pardon me. That was on accident. No um, but yeah, is now a good time to pivot to um, curation, my friends? Do you want to uh, start diving into that? Yeah, I'm good with that. I think that it's just, um, if I can maybe just like set the stage and then I'd love to kind of hear from other artists in the space, um, their thoughts and questions and it's sort of a, just like an open dialogue. So this idea around curation, um, I think it applies heavily within the AI art community where all of us have Google drives full of thousands of images and you kind of have to look at it from an eye of what's going to sell, what's going to attract, what can I you know, burn as a Twitter post and put it on and that sort of thing. And I think that it's something that it's a, as an artist, I know, you know, taken from a more traditional art standpoint, when I'm painting on a canvas, I look at it and I second guess it the entire time. And I think, I think there's a little bit less of that to some degree and more of it in other degrees within AI art, wherein, you know, you may come across something that you've created that is beautiful and you love it and it's super attractive to your eye. And you're like, wow, that's it, that hits. But then you also have, you know, a thousand other images that you just created in the last hour. And it's something that is overwhelming. Um, I know I tend to, you know, start scrolling through my Google drive at midnight when I should be sleeping, looking at hundreds of new images. And I get overwhelmed with this idea of like, well, what am I supposed to do with all of this? What am I supposed to do with it? I think stable diffusion and mid journey, especially since those two major tools launched and stable when open source, that's been amplified by a hundred X, maybe more, maybe a thousand X than what it was before. And I think it's just something that there's a bit of a, um, as an artist, like an emotional tie to some things where like it's something you made and you want to feel strong about it, but you also can't throw up uh, 10,000 pieces onto um, known origin or onto object or something and try to sell all of them. Like that's not really how it works either. And so there's a balance with just the overall like market economics of like supply and demand. Well, if you're going to launch them, is it going to be a hundred pieces? Is it going to be five? Is it going to be a thousand? What are you going to do with it? And how do you market that? And I think that it all goes back and starts at the point of curation and understanding like, does this fit within a certain series? Does this fit within my visual brand? These are all questions that I think you have to ask yourself where I've created some things that I think are amazing, but I haven't shared them with anyone because I don't necessarily think that they fit within a certain parameter and, and you know guardrail, so to speak, of what I want something to come across as. And so there's a lot of sort of internal struggle there. And so I just wanted to kind of I think that's it's just a topic that could probably be um, explored a bit, and maybe we can we can all kind of learn from each other and just have some perspective. So I would love to hear from other people in the space and sort of thoughts on curation and ways we might be able to help each other do that. I'll actually just kick it off by asking you from my own perspective. 
Um, so I was a professional photographer. Um, I made a hundred K within the first year doing strictly B2B. Um, and, uh, some of my clients included like Victoria's secret bought something for me for some reason. I have no idea what they did with it. Um, but like, you know, all of the, the buzzwords like, um, Nat Geo, Getty images, blah, blah, blah. But because of the very short nature of, um, of my photography career, that also means that I have um, very few pieces that I would consider art pieces to put on the blockchain. So when I go to curate right now, I'm very, very nervous about the longevity of my mints, and I'm very careful about what my collections are as a result, which is part of the reason I haven't minted since my first one. Um, what are your thoughts then around um, scarcity, if you will, not just from a, a marketing degree then, but what about the longevity of your career as an artist if you are a a, um, a slow mentor or a, um, or just don't produce at uh, the, the rapid fire rate that it seems like a lot of other people do. I think it's sort of a test and learn. I know it's a bit of a corporate term to throw into it, but I, I look at it as test and learn. Like you have to kind of see what people, what investors are interested in buying and then kind of supplying that to a certain degree. And then it's, it's not just that there's an, also another, this concept of sort of brand identity that I think is super strong within, you know, especially photography as well as art community, where it's like, you have to be known for doing something. That's essentially how it is. So if, if what you're producing all fits within a certain, not necessarily style, but just like execution level, or if it's all in the same blockchain, or if it's all photography, or if it's all AI, like there's some type of, you have to put guardrails on something. And I think that that's important to think about for as far as like from a curation standpoint. And then with photography, I know exactly what you mean. I, I was a professional photographer for years and I've, you know, I have, um, bricked external hard drives. I don't work anymore with gigs upon gigs of photos that never got used. So I totally understand that. And I think that it's something that's like, you know, how do you go about choosing the thing that's going to put you on the map? How are you going to choose the, the image that is worth putting up there? I think it's also interesting to think about the way that the NFT culture is in general and minting something because, you know, wherein with your situation, Kino, like, okay, you have an image, well, you're going to sell it to Victoria's Secret. They're going to utilize it. Maybe you have royalties, maybe you don't. Maybe it was a one-time sale. A lot of stuff like that is a one-time sale, you know? And sometimes it's a, um, you know, maybe that buyer had exclusive rights. Maybe you have an image up on Adobe stock and, you know, you're, you're selling it to anyone who wants to buy and it's kind of open in that way. And what's interesting in this environment is, you know, you sell one thing. If it's not an addition, you sell it one thing, one time, and that's that. But then you can also set up royalties for long-term as well. So it's interesting because in, in some ways it limits the sense of like, if I have something that I really like, you know, um, for example, um, when Kevin made his AI art collaboration with a hundred artists, one of my favorite pieces that I've done since I started, this was a piece that he chose. I didn't realize he wanted to mint that. And when he did, I was, he was like, we're going to mint all these. And I was like, man, I love that piece. Like, I don't really know if I want to mint that on that. I was going to put that in this other series that I had. It was going to be sort of a flagship image. Like I was really hesitant about that. And it really kind of rubbed me in a way where I was really unsure about it because it's like, once it's where it's going to be, 
it's there forever unless you burn it or something, right? Like that's, it, it's a, it's a kind of a big decision in a way too. So that's why this stuff is, is a really important conversation because what you choose to do with it, it kind of lasts forever unless you give up on it. If you keep going with it and you, and you stand by what you did, it, it stays there forever. And so I don't know. It's a, it's again, I don't have all the answers, but it's a very interesting topic to me. And I think that it's something that I personally, I wouldn't say struggle with, but it's definitely a part of the process. And it's something that I'm trying to define that process myself over time as well. And I'm sure, and I know other people are as well. Yeah. And part of my, I don't want to say pushback because I'm not sure I pushed back, but I guess my hesitation around this particular topic was that it's kind of like pricing for me. Um, Pricing is something that feels a little bit more tangible in my brain, but curation, unless I have a portfolio in front of me, as well as the objectives, what's important to the artist, uh, what the artist wants to say, um, and all of these different intimate, intricate pieces that go into how an artist wants to mint on the blockchain, it's really hard for me to talk about so I was thinking about like, okay, maybe we can do this as like a super limited um, Discord run where we get people in there and like basically have a consult, if you were, um, where we have visuals and get everything out there and teach people how to do it. Yeah, um, I love that. I yeah, love that. yeah, but I, I think that um, that yeah, I, I guess if um, if I have a point with that one though, it's that when it comes to curation, because of how complex it is, it's it's not only difficult to talk about in a public space, but I also want to make sure that we're not saying that like there is one way to do it, that when we're contextualizing that we are in fact contextualizing, this is not everybody's experience and this is not like a workflow that we're talking about. So like a super limited um, collection um, or portfolio rather like mine is going to be treated completely differently than an artist who is able to create, especially is able to create at a more rapid rate. Um, And I actually kind of, um, do I envy? I'm going to say envy. I kind of envy artists like Om Lee, for example. Um, Om Lee is just fucking around with tennis goals right now and making these like crazy videos um, with uh, with her AI art too. So she's able to play, but also monetize the amount that she's able to play. And she's also like exploring her work and adding a lot of commentary, I think, to the blockchain, especially the Tez blockchain too. So I'm, I'm really interested in um, in what you have to say about, uh, about all of this too, Amli. Um, and your hand is up. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um uh yeah my hand went up beforehand uh uh give me one second because i gotta write down what i was gonna say beforehand uh okay um otherwise i'll forget I adore you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh, you know it's so funny whenever I'm in your space, Kino, because uh, I'll be like having a little existential crisis about myself. And then you'll, you'll like, put me up and be like, Oh, yeah. And then Amelie, because she's doing this, right. And I just, I think, and like, right before you're saying that, I'm like, I'm doing everything wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> Which also just makes me have more of an existential crisis because I'm like, if I'm doing it right, I don't know how. I, I used uh, you several times as examples in the workshop I because know. you're doing it right. <laughs> I don't know how I'm doing it, though. So how do I replicate it? Um, okay. But um, I think what 
Yeah. I mean, I totally am just a hundred percent on board with this whole curation thing and the, and the crisis it sort of like brings within you. And I think the way that I fight back against that, Kino is by doing what you just said. Um, it, it bogs me down. Like I will get really bummed out by it. Um, trying to have a brand or like curate stuff or, you know, I'll just overthink everything. Um, what should I put out there? What should I do? And, you know, the only way that I am able to move forward creatively as a person is after being stuck like that for, I don't know, like four or five days, just like in the maelstrom of your own mind of just like reminding myself to play because otherwise I just, I can't move forward. I have to drop it. I have to just fuck around. And I don't know if that's like a good way to monetize uh, because I am just like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to fuck around. I don't care. Uh, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do what I feel like doing and blah, blah, blah. But it helps me move forward from that block. So maybe there's, maybe there's a, a hint there or a, a better middle ground that I could find. But like where I'm at now is definitely like a stuck and then a fuck and then a stuck and then a fuck. That came out very strange, but, um, but what I also wanted to bring up and discuss and get sort of like, I don't know, maybe blacks and any of anyone else's opinion on this is, is curation changing? Because, I mean, it's very hard because I'm very heavy in the AI space right now and from what I see, the most successful AI artists that I see are people that whose brand is kind of themselves. It's not the look of their art because the way that AI, I think, lends itself is for play and is for discovery and is for these very like broad, different looks you know, and it can be really hard. I mean, like, I'm just thinking of some of like the, the bigger names out there and I, and I couldn't look at a work and, you know, not have their name attached to it and know that it's their work. Really. I mean, within collections I could perhaps, but, um, it's so like their, their styles and stuff change so dramatically and, also, they aren't holding back. I mean, they're dropping tons. And for some of those people, it works really well. I mean, I'm thinking of, like, Delta. Like, I don't know how, like, he drops something every two days, I feel like, and is doing really well. <laughs> you know, he pays his bills through that. And so I don't know how this will change across other markets, but especially within the AR market, I mean, I'm constantly kind of thinking like, well, do I have to keep a certain look or keep a certain brand? Or am I really limiting myself that way as an artist? Because now I have the ability to really play. Um, and maybe 
you know, and I'm sort of trying to get around that with like, well, maybe I can add like, <laughs> like a really easily added thing, like glasses, I'll just put glasses and everything. And that'll be like a brand, you know, and like, I, I don't know, it's like, it seems like it's changing dramatically to me. And, I, and I'm really curious if, if that's something that other people are noticing. Yeah, I, it is, it is changing rapidly. So I, I tend to think about, and I don't, I don't have, I don't claim to have the answer to this, but this is just my thought. So take it for what it is. I think that, um, the way that art is okay. Let me, let me rewind Picasso cubism. He's in a room with 400 other cubist painters. Like none of them care the fact that he's doing cubism because they're all doing the same thing. And so you can't go through the studio and look at people's canvases and be like, oh, this is Picasso. Or, oh, this is so-and-so. And it's like that nobody knows because they're all doing the same thing. But when Picasso goes out into a different space and they're like, oh my God, I've never seen cubism before. This is amazing. Now he's the cubist painter because he happened to hit that marketing and he hit that, he hit that point, whether through luck or the, the connections that he had or whatever else. I'm just oh, I'm extremely oversimplifying the story of Picasso. I'm trying to make a point when we're in these spaces and like you look at someone like Delta or say Claire, right. You have these people that are making money and sales off of doing different things all the time. They're just kind of like, you know, screwing off and not screwing off, not, not like they care, but they're exploring and doing whatever else. And they're making these sales of different things. They're also had, they've also established themselves in different ways. And I would also be willing to bet that most of them are selling to people that were buying things beforehand or that are outside of the space. So they're unaware of it, but we, and I say we, because I'm in the space with you, right? Like I, I look at everything and I can scroll through and say, oh, that's mid journey. Oh, that's this. Oh, that's that. I know how they did that. Or it's very rare when I see something, I'm like, I'm not sure how they did that at this point, because we're all like crafting these prompts and we're artists in this space and we understand the process. And like, really the only thing that gets me now is a, a new animation that I've never seen before. And it looks so great. And that's, I just look at that as like an advancement of technology not necessarily exploration, which it is to a certain extent. So I think that the point is, is like, when you go to define yourself as an artist, I think the same has been, is the same now as it always has been. It's just that there's a lot more scale and volume involved. And that is that I think you have to identify yourself visually. And once you establish that as a foundation and you have a following and you have a culture and you have a movement and investors, especially in this space, investors, people who are going to buy it, that may not be the same people and probably are not the same people that are in the community with us side by side. They're people that are outside of that. They're looking in from a different window with a different purpose and a different motivation. That's to invest and make money. And so for the most part, that's how it is. So you have to establish yourself, in my opinion, with a visual identity and be that person who does that thing. And then when you hit a certain level and a certain framework of exposure and influence and, and following and things of that nature, then you're able to switch and say, Hey, you know what, guys, I'm going to go do this other thing, or this is an extension of this one idea, or, Hey, here's this just one drop of one, one piece and just see how it goes, do an auction, you know, and, and do it that way where you kind of test the waters. And I think like you're on, like, I'm like, I think you're on the path of doing that right now, like testing the waters and trying other things out. And you had that following to begin with me personally, I've been trying different things this whole time. And, and some of you know, my story already of uh, building an AI on my own and doing all this other stuff. And like, I've also taken this idea of being agile and pivoting where I see feedback. If someone, if I start to see that people are liking a certain style of work or starting to really engage 
engage with something, then I lean on that. And I'm not necessarily going all in on something until I know that. And I feel that, but that's just me testing the waters where I think people at different stages of what they're doing can are there. They have the ability to do different things. When you're first starting out, you have to, it's almost like a, a wax and wane and wax again. We're like, you're first starting out. Everyone who's just starting out right now, like today or last week, you got to explore, you got to try a thousand different things in a thousand different ways. And then you hit something and that resonates and be like, Oh wow, that's that person who does this thing. Well, and then you lean on that and you grow on that and you flex on that. And then you build up such a following and, a, and people are aware of the fact that you're doing that one thing. Then you can start exploring again and you find that next stage and you, you leverage that next stage and you leverage the following that you have. That's sort of how I, I look at it. It's a, it's a kind of a gamified way of looking at it, but that's how I look at it. I just want to quickly say, I kind of feel like I'm living my best life right now because when I entered into NFTs, I recognize that a lot of us were saying, well, a lot of eh, collectors, marketers, et cetera, were giving everybody a formulaic uh, prescription basically of how to sell their art. And it did not champion their personalities. It certainly did not focus on having fun or um, expressing the entire breadth of your portfolio. And now with the introduction of Tez, where as Omni said, that is more of a um, blockchain that is for fun and exploration, which we just, we didn't have that culture before. So I love that the narrative is shifting around what is quote unquote, okay to monetize or not. And we're effectively able to make not only a living off of, um, off of our work, off of our play, off of of, um, the multitude of styles that we have, um, but we're also able to build a following off of that, especially based on our style, our personality, etc. So I'm just I'm living my best life hearing all of this. I, I love this. Um, handheld, let's go to you, and then uh, Tana. We've we've got you. I have the audacity to say, I think I have a watershed um, suggestion that will break the tide. I have been in many spaces and I host my own spaces and what I have yet to hear uh, um, overarching is asking your existing clientele, collector, follower, people. You don't, I mean, you have an idea of how much, let's say, your your work should be you I don't think a lot of artists were artists are talking to artists I think artists need to now pivot like use Twitter spaces as a respite and and water cooler you know but really and truly ask the people that like your any anytime someone at, likes your posts ask them why do you like this look into them talk to them get to know their favorite color I'm telling you right now, catalog does not come out with a new flake willy-nilly. They have so many moments where they say Northeast, Southwest of USA, Japan. What do you like? Did you like this? Well, what if I change it this way? Do you like it this way? How much do you make? Are you married? Do you have children? They know who they're talking to because when you know exactly who you're talking to, they now are somewhat friends, especially it's very easy on Twitter. OK, 
Kellogg, like we're not friends with Kellogg, but they know us so well that we just say, yeah, throw it in the bag. I submit and suggest to all artists to pivot anytime someone likes anything, DM them and say, why did you like this? Thank you for liking this. Why did you like it? Oh, what's up with you? Oh, I like your shirt and your profile picture. Oh, what's your favorite color? Me too. You know, oh, what do you do? And so on and so on and so on and so on. Ask the people who already love you. They will tell you your price. And then you can scale from there. It's not a shot in the dark. Because you're going to ask the people who already love you. And actually, that is money from the start. Maybe it's not like actual dollars you can pay your rent with, but it is enough to scale to eventually do that because you absolutely know who is in your corner in terms of not hitting your, you know, uh, uh, likes buttons, you know, all the way live. It's about how do I translate that into value? So, you know, your best friend, you know what they like you know when it's their birthday and so you're like oh they're gonna love this same thing yeah i think like getting feedback from people is crucial like you have to have feedback and i think artists in general um getting critiqued and from other fellow colleagues that you respect and people that you know you're sort of in a open space with and sharing like in order to learn more about the best way to kind of amplify what you're trying to achieve um, I also wanted to ask Amelie if that, what we talked about before, if that like sheds any light or gives like good perspective or, you know, kind of like a follow-up thought question before we move it on. Yeah. I mean, I think it, like, I totally understood what you were saying. And I think in a way that's kind of what I have done or I've made and then where, where things have hit, I've sort of, or I've done that in the past, but I, but I also think it goes to show, I mean, what you were saying about like Claire and Delta and all those people, it kind of goes back to that question of, well, how much, and you know, is it a question now that's new? No, but it's like, how much is it just about building your name as opposed to building a look, I suppose. And, and I think it's probably, you could go both ways, you know, and, and that, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure Claire wasn't even, she was just like a degen before she started doing AI, you know, and she had just made it real big, a uh, big name for herself. And then she was like, Hey, now I can do AI art and I'm going to sell some stuff. And, you know, now she's like the biggest AI artist in whatever. And she didn't have a look or in anything, you know what I mean? So I, I, I guess it's just another way to go about success. It doesn't necessarily have to be about curation. You could just be, as Kino says, be like an influence, influencer status kind of thing um, is all I was saying, seeing more of that. Yeah. I, I, th I think it's just like, I, I look at it as layering, you know, like you have to go, go through layers and there's like, there's like periods of order and periods of chaos. So there's like periods of, and that's with everything in the nature of the universe, in my opinion. So it's like a matter of like exploration is chaos, you know, and then order is like solidifying and becoming more like stable with what you're doing. And then like being known for that thing and then breaking out again and then doing something else. And like, because if you, if you explore all the time, 
if anyone explores all the time, then you'll never be known for anything. And if you just do the same thing over and over again all the time, then it'll become boring and won't have the value anymore either. And so you have to go through these phases like moon cycles or something and like constantly change what it is. But then it's not a matter of going back and forth. You have to go up in level every time. Like I, I think I've said this before in some chat with us, maybe even with, I look at it as almost like RPGs where it's like, you know, you, uh, you level up and get more XP and you start spending that, you know, those skill points in, um, archery or necromancy or something. I'd look at it that way. It's like, well, the more that I learn about stable diffusion, the more I'm able to manipulate this query and this thing, and then change the prompt. And now I have this look, okay, great. And I do that to the point where I know that it's hit a crescendo and I've made it the best I possibly can. And then I'll have a series, then I'll launch something. And then, you know, um, that sells and maybe I'll shift a little bit or try something else or do some really exploratory, do a hundred things. And then one of them gets a lot of feedback and people really resonate with, and then you kind of go in that direction. I think there's a balance between what your audience wants and the feedback they give you versus what you want to project as an artist. And it's like that with everyone, any major artist that's ever been successful while living like Jackson Pollock's a great example of that. If anyone knows his story, it's very similar. He did uh, so many different things until getting to the point of doing, you know, spraying um, paint drops over canvas that, that, that finally resonated with people. And then that's what he leaned on. You know what I mean? So I think in this space, things are moving so rapidly and so fast, you're going to go through that same cycle that one major artist, you know, modern artist did for their entire life. You know, they went through one cycle of that. We're going to go through one cycle of that every like two or three months, I think. Like, I think you're going to go through that same life cycle in like a two and a half, three month period of time, 90 days of exploration, solidification, curation, selling series, and then back to exploration again. And you build and layer on it over time, over and over and over again. That's what I think the, that that's what I think the formula is. I, I, I agree pretty much with that. Yeah. I want to make some room for my love Tana, if that's okay. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm going to be really quick here. Um, but I just wanted to say I'm really loving the conversation and I also loved what uh, black label was saying about leveling up like experience. Right. Cause I, I really look at this space like that sometimes where it's like, Oh, if I learn this, that just gives me, you know, my next opportunity. I'm now a level five. I can go, take other quests <laughs> so I thought that was a great uh, way to word it because I'm always saying that um, I was gonna just add a little uh, perspective here whereas like I think uh, with every artist um, we're not all meant to I guess market or curate the same way I've been kind of talking about this in a few different spaces where it's like we all like think of it like a giant machine, right? Like somebody has to be the driver, somebody has to be the gears, you know, somebody has to be the passenger that's kind of, you know, secondhand driving. Um, not everybody can do the same thing. And like as a multifaceted artist, I think where I've found, you know, the most success is like kind of what uh, Handheld was talking about is just uh, being authentic with one, like collectors, but two, like other artists in the space too. And just like, continuing to post and like not like box myself in because I'm worried about um you know is this gonna get enough engagement you know like is this even gonna go anywhere um I think being scared of that box kind of holds people back from things they could get a lot of you know good feedback on 
Um, so one thing I've been like really trying to push in this space is to not box yourself in, right? Like if there's something that's inspiring you go dabble, like go have fun, go take that side quest really quick, you know, and then come back and apply it to whatever you're creating. Um, I think it's really important, you know, to do those things, um, because boxing yourself in can be, you know, the worst enemy for you, it can be detrimental. Um, so that's one thing I just kind of wanted to throw out there as a multifaceted artist, because I do a general, you know, a bunch of different mediums. I do charcoal, I paint, I do digital illustration, been dabbling with AI, I've been learning, you know, Blender 3D. But the one thing that all of that has in common is I always do a character. I always do like some type of person or something within the art piece. And that's what I've kind of been known to do now. Um, so even though I'm playing with different mediums, I still have you know, that one uh, common thing within all of the pieces, which is, you know, my characters. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to throw out that perspective. Like, don't be scared to box yourself in because you're trying to curate and market. Like, sometimes some of the best works, you know, and the best way to unlock different parts of yourself is to dabble with a bunch of different mediums and come back. So I just wanted to add that in there. I'm really loving the discussion, but I think I'm going to step back down to listener just because I have some stuff to do. But uh, yeah, that's all I had to say. Thank you for giving me the space. You're brilliant. And I always love hearing your voice. Thank you for coming up. Um, so you guys know me. I, I like having workflows for things and I like having some sort of concrete definition and lines to be drawn so that if I give somebody advice, we are able to contextualize it not only to what their experience is, but what their needs are. Now, obviously, with art, with pricing, with curation, we are talking often about abstract ideas. But those abstract ideas can still be contextualized in a way. And my worry is that artists are kind of scared about that box that you were talking about, um, possibly because I, I, again, kind of feel like we damaged artists last year. The, the marketing directors, the collectors from last year damaged us into thinking that there is a right way to do things. So you have to release a 1-1. Your genesis has to be your very best work or you're going to fail um or if you do a 10 10 collection you are not allowed to do a one one um piece that is you know a lot um released at the same time as that for example so we we put these boxes out for artists and i think kind of made a lot of them fit into it and that's why i um I'm, I'm just forever grateful to artists like uh, like Minaji, for example, who continue to not only push the discussion, but push the narratives behind that. Um, and it takes it takes a lot of bravery to do that. But it's brave specifically because we instilled that culture of making sure that there is a, a prescribed way to do a thing correctly rather than encouraging growth, encouraging innovation, as well as exploration within the space. But all of that said, because all of that is beautiful and happy and great, but where is the line? Where is the line with between, I want you to go out and explore your best self and um, live every single day as the, the most expressive artist that you can, and then bringing it back down to earth 
where we do have discussions about what is effective, what does your target audience want, how am I going to help you put food on the table so you are able to continuously explore? Because the exploratory value that we were just talking about, as well as the um, the diagnosis can be very different worlds. And there are some artists who can do both. They get it lucky. They find their style. Their style is exactly what the mass media um, of, uh, of consumers want. But that is a very different story than um, what a lot of artists are, are going through right now. So I wonder if there isn't some sort of workflow that we can talk about then where there's like this element of curation that Black Label is talking about and then some sort of feedback loop based on what is working. And this is often called A-B testing if we were to um, to put a label on it. So um, Black Label, I want to get your thoughts on this. What if it was more about like curating first? So curating what you think is going to be the most, uh, the heaviest appeal of whoever your target audience is, assuming that you did define your target audience. Um, so curating based on what you think your audience is going to like, um, getting that feedback from them, whether or not it's in sales, whether or not it's via like GMGN tweets, um, and then basing your next curation off of that feedback in pursuit of further sales or because you were able to snowball your engagement, your core collectors, your adjacent collectors, et cetera, based on that first curation, then you're able to explore. Does all of that make sense or did ADHD just like take that and run? I got it. I got it. I'm absorbing all of it. Um, I think that it's like, we, we have an opportunity within Twitter and social media in general to get more or less instant feedback. And so that's something now, you know, whether or not the algorithm lets our content get shown is for another workshop. But I think that it's something that, you know, assuming that you can get out in front of people who want to see your stuff, you, you'll get feedback. Um, and I think that it's something you can look through you know, if you're making two or three posts a day with different images you're working on. Um, or, you know, as an artist or a photographer or whatever, like different things you're going towards different styles, different, whatever, as you're exploring, you'll start to see a contextual feedback loop of how many likes, how much engagement, what's the percentage. And I, I, I have a bit of a data mindset for this stuff more because I've been kind of forced into that box over time, but that's how I look at it where it's like, well, that one got that one had this much reach with this much engagement versus this other style, which got that much reach and that much engagement. And then I have a bit of a, as you say, an AB test, or um, as I mentioned earlier, like a test and learn to kind of see what kind of feedback you get. And I will say there's a danger in this though. And this is sort of something I was mentioning yesterday in the um, workshop we had. There's a danger in the sense of community versus your demographic that you're going after to sell something to and what's your buyer persona versus the persona of your community and the culture that you're in you know i want other artists to see my work and give me feedback so that i can be a better artist but then i also want to sell things to people who want to buy them and so sometimes that's not the same persona sometimes that's not in fact i would say most of the time that's not the same persona and you have to you also have to engage with the people who are your potential clients, um, so to speak, or potential customers and 
kind of get their feedback too. And so anyways, my point is when you put things out there and you start to get um, resonance and feedback and you start to harmonize with um, what people are looking for, then you can start that curation process. Cause you know, like, okay, well, like I'll just use myself as an example some of the more like black and white, um, like photorealistic, weird and wild, dark type stuff that I've been producing. When I started going down that rabbit hole of the style and look, I started getting a lot more engagement, a lot more feedback. People really like that. And I, you know, I found guardrails within them because I don't want to create something that has like a horror theme. I don't want to make it like scary or frightening or gory or whatever. That's just not my style. Other people, you know, obviously do that, but that's just not what I want to do. I don't want to be negative. And so I want something that can be dark, but also alluring. And so that's, that's a bit of a framework, right? Like that's a framework where I've gotten, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of images that don't fit within that framework. And a handful of those are amazing, but I wouldn't use it in that because I don't think that's what resonates. I don't want to portray that. And so that's like my own framework. And I think people are trying to find their framework within things. And you can have that within the AI community. You can have it within like painters or 3D artists or photographers. It's all the same thing. When you start to kind of get that resonance, you start to understand what that framework is for the people in which you're trying to put it out there to. I haven't cracked the code on selling everything yet because I'm about to launch something here in like nine days for that. So hopefully um, I can come back 10 days from now and say it was a success and that I, I did it properly. But that's just my thought process on it and trying to use that instant feedback system we have with social media to be able to see that. I wonder if we can't touch on the conversation then of creating for the sake of sales, because we have three different perspectives up here. Um, I create based on uh, my anxiety. Um, I, I create pieces that um, I feel aren't that spectacular, but it's kind of a, a thing of therapy for me. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit selfish with how I create. Um, Black Label, you mentioned that you create based on trends. And I'm not um, trying to generalize and say like, that's all that you create, um, but it, it was mentioned. And then we also have Omelie, who is creating for the sake of funsies too. So I wonder if we don't want to dip real quick into art for the sake of sales, fun, um, therapy, what, whatever. Um, and contextualize that a little bit to curation, or does it even fucking matter really um, <laughs> when it comes to, uh, to to the blockchain, you know? I, I think it does matter. And just to clarify, I don't necessarily like just me personally, I just want to clarify. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily making things just to sell them. I, that's just how my business brain works is how I think about things. So I've done a lot of exploration and doing a lot of different things. And I, and what I mean is like, I'm at that, I'm at the phase where I'm solidifying that. Like I'm solidifying what my exploration was. And I think there will, as I said a little bit ago, there will definitely come a time where there'll be more exploration in the future, but I want to make sure that I'm doing something that, or I'm, I'm building towards a sales funnel that will, that will work and be successful. And I can only do that with feedback. And so then I build towards that feedback and lean into it. And then afterwards I will explore more for funsies and other things too, but just, just to throw that out there. Yeah. And uh, before I get to handheld, I do want to say that Tana, Tana, excuse me, um, wanted to add that doing sneak piece of a, oh, sorry, sneak 
peaks of a piece, there we go, good alliteration, um, of an art project you're doing is a great way to see what your audience likes or dislikes. And um, ADHD ran away with it, but that's what I meant by GMGN posts. So when I was not only trying to figure out what people wanted, um, but to make myself feel a little bit better about minting, because y'all know I'm very nervous about that. Um, I just did GMGN posts and um, basically relegated those to a poll based on the uh, the engagement that they got. And there was one photo that did spectacularly better than the rest of them. So back when I was um, exploring editions and, and thinking about it, um, that was essentially going to be my edition just based on... Um, excuse me, um, surveying the, uh, the community as it were, but yeah, handheld, go ahead. Um, I have so much to say that this is not the place to say it. Like I'm overwhelmed with emotion. I'm irate. I'm excited. Uh, shout out to black and shout out to Kino. I'll, I'll say that and I'll dip my head because like this conversation is wild to me but thank you for having it sure is there okay I'll, I'll respect that um let's see Kino real quick I want to add to uh the funnels right I just heard someone say about marketing funnels and content I think it's important for for creators or product owners is to understand the funnel phases of your your product. Where are your customers? Are they in the awareness stage? Are you building content for that? Are they in the stage of verification? Do you have content for that? Are they about the purchase? Do you have content for that? I think you really have to look at the data points like what Black was talking about uh, from creating content to realize where your target audience is and what type of messaging you need to do within your funnel. So I just wanted to add on to that. I think that's something where I, I get a lot of questions is what type of content should I create, right? Uh, we'll create content that brings value, obviously, but understand where your target audience is at and where your buyers are at. So then you can identify the message or create the right content that's going to match uh, the con, you know, the, the target audience at at the right time. So just just some thoughts for you guys that are creating what's what works best for you. So Owls is dipping into the conversion funnel there, and if anybody is in, um, Owls, before I shill my own Discord, um, do you have any resources for that, my friend? Google. Google. Okay. Um, so in my discord, I do have a couple of worksheets available. If anybody is interested in what he's talking about, basically, um, it is a means of creating content dependent upon where your audience is, um, in proximity to making the final sale or becoming advocates. Um, it is an amazing way of not only never running out of content, um, but making sure that you are leading your audience to sale and being sensitive to um, making sure that you're um, making the, the sale as easy as possible. So if you're interested in that, um, I do have worksheets in the Discord and that's probably gonna be the next workshop too. Being that the last one was probably about six hours of content, um, I'm either going to do conversion or sales for this next one. So if you're interested in either or, let me know. Um, but to that point, too, it's it's kind of we're, we're 
touching on um, kind of a, a different subject, I think, and that is that we are constantly curating ourselves. And I wonder if once again, that's kind of doing damage by um, giving everybody and like I participate in this too, if we're giving people too much information or too many options to the point where now our artists just don't fucking know what to do because we have choice paralysis. So I wonder if, um, if through effectively giving people to, you know, um, curate, curate your posts, curate your topic, curate your art, curate this, curate that, is that creating a sort of anxiety for people? Or is it good? Is education like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just interested in, um, in following that line if you guys are. Yes. Definitely have anxiety. <laughs> I think. I think when you're looking at, I'm just again. I'll speak for like the AI community. When you're looking at a Google Drive of like thousands of images that were made in like a week, you're just looking at it and be like, okay, I don't know what the hell to do with this. Like this is insane. Like I want everyone in the world to see how amazing some of this stuff is, and no one to see other stuff. And it's a really um, small overlap in between. Real, real quick, just to add to that one. One strategic way that I suggest for you guys, uh, and I know you talked about this keynote with surveys, right? Asking questions, but maybe create two pieces of AI art piece. And this is something that gets crazy engagement for me. And ask the community left or right. You'll be surprised to hear uh, the responses, but then that will allow you to realize what artwork connects more with your community. Uh, so if you have a really dark black one or if you have a color one, Put that out there and ask, you know, left or right and see what type of engagement, uh, especially if you have a ton of content and you don't know which one's going to work best. Utilize your community to bring value uh, to your content. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I, I was That's what I meant earlier about feedback too. Like we have a, a an opportunity right now to get feedback from people using social media in a way that is unprecedented in the past for artists. And so I think that like you have to lean on that and use that and, and build a community around it too. So absolutely. Amelie, it looks like uh, you unmuted earlier. Did you want to add? Oh, I just said yes to your question about anxiety. Got it. Um, Joe, how are you? It's good to see you up here. I'm doing well. And actually, I was actually kind of shocked when all of a sudden it switched the speaker. I don't know if I accidentally requested the mic or not, but uh, I will try to provide some uh, valuable feedback. But yeah, uh, uh, Owls is definitely right. The, uh, including your community and giving them choices and options and stuff, it, it does actually provide a lot of engagement and does make everybody feel like they're part of what you're doing. Uh, if you guys can check out, you can see the pinned tweet up at the top. It's th it's three words, left or right in question mark. There's no hashtags or anything like that. And just realize what the community is going to say and see what they like about it. Get that feedback. And then from there, refine your product. But use those data points to make data-driven decisions. And like this is in the Twitter workbook. Um, I'm wrapping up... Um... I'm wrapping up this chapter right now, but yeah, essentially what, uh, what you've done is, so there's, there's a couple of different formulas for virality when it comes to, tw uh, to tweeting. And one of them I've put in there is called the two line rule, um, which this one obviously is not necessarily a two line rule, but it does still follow the same formula of simplification 
and a um, giving somebody two options, basically. So it, it makes sense that uh, this tweet got so much engagement, um, specifically because obviously you're asking them a question. You're asking them to do something very simple, though, too. And I think that those are brilliant. Um, the other one that I really like is asking somebody to comment or like or retweet. I mean, or with all of those, not all three, because that's gross to me. Um, but if you ask somebody to comment and then you give them something like, uh, my, my Pokemon tweet, um, always does really well. Um, or the, what was the one that I just did? Was it a profile? Uh, oh no, it was, um, I was checking everybody. So I found a crazy way to check, um, how the algorithm is relating you based on keyword factors. And all I did was say comment and I will tell you because it doesn't cost me a ton of time to look um, and it doesn't cost them a lot to engage with it either. So um, just based on that, uh, that ROI, I thought that um, that would be valuable not only for people to know what that is, but obviously it would be valuable to my engagement as well. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to do a hard pivot there and just um, uh, give you your, uh, your flowers on that tweet, my friend. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I've, I've got a bit of that, uh, that selfish anxiety, I guess, of recognizing that even with, um, my own content being that it isn't structured to the point of like a workshop would be, or like, if you were to subscribe to a lifetime membership, for example, here is exactly what you need to do in order to become a successful artist. And I, I do wonder sometimes if by not having the, uh, the structure there that I'm actually providing too much information um, to people and, and giving them this, this paralysis, which effectively I would think actually does, um, not that it does more damage. Again, this is an anxiety, so I'm just talking through it. I apologize. Um, I, I wonder if... Um, again, like that, that prescriptive element of telling somebody exactly how to succeed is the same as giving them too much information. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, there's always like a, a measure of paralysis by analysis, you know, like I think that all things within reason and it goes for the same with this topic. I mean, you have to be able to hold your own you can't bend to the will of the crowd always either and as an artist you have to at the end of the day you got to express what you're trying to express and that that's i mean that's like probably my biggest belief of anything um i believe in valuable artistic expression and something that that's a very specific phrase for a reason you have to express yourself artistically but with value and that takes feedback and that takes an analysis of what other people want from you and want to buy from you but it also has to stay true uh to who you are as an artist and as a creative person Omli, you're back do you have uh, stuff to say about this one he already he just said i mean why speak when black is around i don't know i was gonna say basically that just continuous mic drops black label sorry <laughs> i gotta get small brain <laughs> 
Not at all. Um, I think that we have definitely learned, though, that there is something that can be done with the constant anxiety with curation and feedback is definitely one of them. So I guess if there's a takeaway from this conversation, it's that even if you learned last year that like you're not allowed to explore, you're not allowed to test, like there is a prescribed way of um obtaining success within uh within the the uh sorry the nft community i would just encourage us to maybe not completely throw it away but recognize that yes there are certainly ways to um achieve success but all of those are dependent upon so many different factors that are unique to you as well as unique to the person who is experiencing success that I just want to make sure that you are able to feel like you can explore and that you're not going to like have a catastrophic algorithmic failure if you have a tweet that goes bad, you know? Um, obviously, I, I, I believe that we have the, uh, the resources out there for the algorithm to be able to allow people to explore without having to have that anxiety. And I do, of course, recognize like problems like alienating your audience, but alienating your audience doesn't happen from one tweet unless you do something very bad. Um, alienating your audience comes from a pivoting of content over a course of time where now their expectations have been subverted to the point where they just don't want to follow your content anymore. So I, I would definitely encourage people to, yes, like look for that feedback, definitely, but also make sure that you are able to explore, not feel constrained by what collectors have said over the past year. Because um, I really do think that with the integration and innovation within the space of new platforms, new projects, new artists, all of those things are, doing, are going to continuously normalize exploration and innovation within the space. And I'm living my best life living to this, uh, um, listening to this conversation because I, I think that if we're not there yet, I think that we're getting there. And I really think that for an art community, for a community that is built on abstract ideas, expression, and, um, and uh, unique personalities um, that everybody has, that all of that is beneficial. That is a universal good for everybody. Um, yeah. I, can I, I just want to say one more thing. I think like something that, you know, is important is feedback. Like we just talked about. And I think there's, there's several different kinds of that. You know, there's, there's the kind of putting left or right out. There's a kinds of trying different things and posting and that sort of thing. But then there's also a more intimate kind that is like building relationships and having, having friends and colleagues in the community where you can kind of be vulnerable and share things like, Hey, this is something I'm working on. What do you think? And maybe that's over DM or whatever, but it's something like, that's something that's super important. I think that's really important as an artist because you cannot exist in a silo. That's the last thing I want to do. As much as I, I feel like I have my own personality and I and I want to do my own thing. I want to do it, but I, I also really truly want someone's feedback. But I don't want, I don't necessarily want the kind of feedback of let me post something and people are like, oh, cool, cool image, cool piece, love that. And I I try to give constructive feedback or perspective, or just if I make a comment on someone's work, I'm like, man, I really love that the color choice within this and the line work is great. And it's really defined. And like, I want to, I want to say why I like that. And I encourage other people to do that too. When you're commenting on stuff, do that, but then also be, you know, 
we cannot be competitive with each other. I'm anti-competition in this regard when it comes to artists and us having a culture together in a community. I don't want to compete with anyone. I'm not in competition with Omli. I'm not in competition with Illustrata. I'm not in competition with other people in the room. We're all doing our own thing. And I think that's okay. But what ends up happening is naturally, I think as humans, we get tribal and, or even like individualistic with it comes to when it comes to what it is we're trying to do. And it's like, well, I don't really want to show my thing. I don't want to show my prompt or I want to do whatever. And Amelie, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to share a small story because Amelie accidentally sent me her prompt one night over DM. And it was a very like vulnerable situation. I ended up showing her mine as well. It's a very interesting little sharing experiment, but it was funny because what ends up happening is that we ended up having trust with one another. Well, I know she's not going to use what it is I'm doing and, and she knows the, the opposite as well. And so it's just interesting because like, in a way I feel like I could send her something that I'm working on and get, get general, very specific and sometimes expressive feedback from her as, as like just feedback on my work. And I'll do the same thing with her as well, as well as some other people that are here too. And just having that open relationship, like that's so important and it's like very valuable. And like, I'm never going to be in competition with someone. I encourage anyone who feels like they have to be super protective over what they're doing or not show anything until it's super polished and it's ready to sell. Like that's not the way to become a great artist or a good business person either. There's so many startups that fail because they don't test the market first, that they don't ask colleagues for feedback first. And the worst ones fail when they do and they don't listen to it. And so I think that's one of the biggest things you can do that's so cancerous to any organization or to an individual is to not have someone that one, you can trust and respect what their experience and perspective is in order to give you accurate feedback that's valuable to you. And two, to listen to that and to adjust yourself in that direction. So yeah, just want to throw that out there. Amelie, don't hate me. I don't hate you. That was, I just got to say, one of the most, it was very strange. And I think only AI people will be able to experience it. But I had copy, like it was on my clipboard and I was trying to send him something else. <laughs> and I just sent it and sent. And it was like that same feeling of when you like accidentally send like a really intimate text to the wrong person or something like that. Like you're sending something like sexy to your boyfriend, but it ends up going to your boss or something. Like it was the exact same feeling. I was so mortified. But then he sent me his and it was all better. And now we're best friends. <laughs> it was really funny. Cause I, cause I felt that, I felt that so strong. When she sent him, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, I know that that was an accident and I, I felt so bad. I was like, Oh my God. Like I, I feel vulnerable now in this space. too. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me rectify this. I'll send you mine. And now we're even, and now we're good. Now we can move on from this moment. You know, <laughs> it's really funny, but I think it's important to have like relationships with people where like, I, I, it's good to learn what other people think about what you're doing. And like, you have to do that. Like you cannot become better or even become successful with sales without that. You have to have that. And I, I encourage everybody to do that. Not that I'm the best at it, but it's something that I have to try to do myself too. I'm very 
solo lone wolf kind of perspective with a lot of things that I don't really, I don't really move with a tribe and that's just sort of my vibe personally as an individual, but like I, I have to do that. And I want that really at the end of the day, I see the value in it and I try to open up communication to anyone. And if it doesn't resonate, that's great, whatever. Then now I know that there's one other person that I'm not going to talk to, but if it does resonate, I lean on that. And I want to make sure that like, I give that energy back too. And like, it has to be a two-way street and you got to be even with that and have that level of trust and then level that as well. And it becomes someone that you really value value their perspective and you also trust where they're coming from. And I think that's like absolutely paramount to being successful with anything really. I would absolutely second that. Um, you know, we have a kind of a core group that's been uh, around for the last year or so with the space that I hold. And uh, we have a chat where there's only like eight or 10 people of the regulars. And if you post something in there and, and they will give you an honest opinion and, and it really is, even if it's just to, to push you to go farther or work harder or take a piece to another level, you know, when somebody tells you, Hey, that's not quite up to the standards of what you've been putting out. I mean, it, it, it's good to, it's unbelievably valuable to have honest opinions from people and not just the, Oh, that's great. Or cool piece kind of stuff. He, he totally would agree with that. I actually have a question from Tana. Um, do you think it's effective to host spaces specific on constructive criticism for works in progress that artists are working on. I personally would love that, but I'm also, I've been a creative director and I've worked with teams and I've done a lot of critiquing in my life. And so to me, like, I think that's, and that's beyond valuable for anyone in my opinion, but the caveat there is that you have to enter into it with the right mindset and people can get offended or if they come into it with the, with the mindset like oh my stuff is perfect i really want to hear how perfect it is then you're not going to have a good time and that's sort of against the nature of what it is so i think that the caveat there is if you enter in with a with a good perspective and you also you also have to appreciate and respect what other people say in that space and if you have that open vulnerability going into it it's it's a win win my opinion regardless of who's in the room doing it um but it, but i also think it depends on your mindset and depends on the experience of people who are delivering the feedback too, because saying, Oh, that looks cool is not constructive. Anyone or like, ah, I don't really like that. That's horrible feedback. Like you have to be specific and you all in, in order to do that, you have to know why it is you like it or what it is you think could improve it. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean everyone has to do what someone says, but it's also just a matter of having an open environment to do it. I think that would be fantastic, but that's just my opinion. Steph, after you. Yeah. Um, I was just going to speak to that. Um, I don't know if anybody follows, the future, uh, Christo, I think is his name. Um, but I was watching a video one time. He was talking about how he feels like the one of the big reasons that he has gotten to where he is in life and um, in his creative work is because early on when he was in school, when they would have those um, critiques of each other's work, he would something that I think is really hard to do is kind of try to remove his emotions from the piece, kind of like look at it as if it was his work, look at it as if it's somebody else's, it's not his anymore, and be able to receive the criticism that way. And also when they're critiquing other people's work, look at everybody's work as if it's his work and really hear because it puts you in a mindset to really be able to hear what's being said 
and then take it and and learn from it right away and move on. And I, I thought that that was really interesting and helpful. So I just had to share. And I guess I should say too, um, Steph, I'm really excited to talk to you tomorrow because um, I'm going to tell you all about all of this. Um, with uh, So I've just finished up with a workshop. Um, I'm going to let my brain rest for a good week because, oh my God, if you guys ever do workshops, uh, give yourself more time than I did. It's like slides. I never in my life would have thought that slides would have taken like two weeks to make. It was nuts. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm wrapping up the Twitter workbook right now, and then I'm going to focus back on Discord. And um, we do have like a share for critiques room in there that anybody is more than welcome to drop in as well as you know um artists who are experienced enough to provide you with those critiques but what i would really like to start exploring is more of these spaces that have visuals so streams as well as um being able to work through um the the topics that we're talking about rather than like me lecturing at you guys um so um we're, we're going to uh, to start exploring things like that and um black label i'm kind of excited to uh, to talk to you a little bit about um, pairing up a little bit more because you're a smarty pants and you ask questions that are so pointed and I just I respect the heck out of um, out of the way that uh, that you lead these so let's um let's talk soon my friend um to all of that my brain is super heck and rugging um, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be interesting for much longer if I have been for the past two hours at all. Um, so yeah, when, uh, when we're done, um, with, with this conversation, I think I'm, uh, I'm going to wrap it up if that's okay. Sounds good. If it, did anyone else have any other questions or just kind of thoughts that they're out there? I think this has been amazing. Yeah. I got a question for you, Black, uh, if you don't mind me, yeah, what's, what's, working, sure. what's working for you and what's not working for you? Um, What's not working for me is the Twitter algorithm. I feel like I've come from a career of growth hacking things. So I look at it that way. And so that's something that is a constant sidebar obsession of mine is to try to identify why or how post and content are getting certain reaches and other ones aren't. And I tr I've tried a hundred different experiments to kind of learn more about that and just like test the fences, so to speak. So I don't want to say that it's not working, even though that's how I started this, but I, I, it is working to a certain extent. I think that's just something that I'm constantly trying to improve upon. My, my idea is a, um, uh, you know, you have 5,000 followers and 5,000 people see your content. That's impossible, but that's like a best case scenario. So to me, like, that's what I want to achieve as much as possible. So I'm kind of obsessed with that. What is working for me, I think is just building relationships and, you know, coming to this space without an expectation of making a lot of sales at first and really just building something, I find that my personality and my goals and my passions all align within the direction of AI art and kind of wanting to help and empower other artists in the space. My original business plan that I wrote up in January, the number one thing was building a community around valuable artistic expression. That is something that is still absolutely true to me and true to my core. 
I've never been more passionate about anything in my life. And that's not just something cliche to say, to wrap up a space, but that's something that I've more, I more than anything believe in. And so to me, what's working really well is just having an open mind, no expectations, and just trying to empower other people. I'm not sure. The last thing I'll say to that is I'm not sure how many of you all saw it, but um, Amelie Illustrata and I ran a contest last week um, for AI art. And really the purpose of it was um, what we called it was expression with purpose. And I think that too much and too often in this space and in art spaces in general within social media, you have this environment where people are sharing what they made and not why they made it. And I think especially in AI art, where we have the ability to make a hundred things in an hour, um, you're in a situation where the why becomes almost, in my opinion, more important than, than the how or the what. And so we kind of provided that space for that. I kind of looked at it as an experiment. I didn't know if people would even, you know, give a shit about it, to be honest with you. I didn't know. But I took the, the the two best people that I look I have looked up to and and look at as colleagues within this space to help me judge it, and we put it out there. We got a lot of great submissions and people DMing me and thanking me for um, for the three of us to provide a space for them to share their stories and their expression and everything else. And there was like a lot of emotional things that people put up there, and it honestly was like. Not only did it take more time than I thought, but the resonance within the within the community was so much more than I thought. And that was something if I had to put on the my top list of wins that happened was that. And it was not because I got a lot of impressions and we got more followers and stuff like that. It was because I learned so much about so many people during that experience and learned how much expression there really was for this, you know, AI art community in general. That was like absolutely massive to me. And and that I would probably put as my number one thing that I've done that would be successful because we provided that space. And more than anything, it was a space to empower people and empower artists to share their expression. And I don't think me personally, as an individual, I could value anything more than that. So that's, that's my answer. Everybody go home. That was a mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> you're so good at those no that was great that that was great and i think that's the things that um you talked about real quick was a lot of people ask is how do you still stay in the game how do you still stay consistent right uh depends on how passionate you are the more passionate you are the more you're going to give into your project the more you're going to keep creating and keep innovating and i can definitely hear that through your voice so yeah. it's great to meet you guys and connect with everybody here hope everybody has a great rest of the week kino thanks for always rocking the mic i love marketing talks i'm out love it's it love it. and um thank everybody else for for coming to um omni steph joe buzz i see you gabe thanks for hanging out illustrata you're always here thatcher juliet tana hello my friends Thank you guys for letting me be um, not as interesting <laughs> this week. My brain is just absolutely rugged after that workshop. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a break, walk around a lake a couple of times, finish a damn book, and uh, we'll see you back here next Tuesday, um, strong as ever with, uh, with some new marketing topics, my friends. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. My brain is so rugged. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you at the next one. Ciao, ciao. Bye.